So, we are in the midst of a series of messages through the book of Galatians this summer. And we will be in the uh, latter portion of chapter 4, if you would like to follow along with us. There should be a Bible within reach uh, underneath one of the chairs in front of you. And uh, there will also be the, the passage will be on the screen behind me, and it's also printed in your bulletin if you, can, if you want to follow along in any one of those ways. Um, I'm going to give you just a little bit of background before we read. Um, the Apostle Paul has, just a couple years prior to writing this letter, been traveling around these regions of the ancient world, one of which was called Gala. And as he was in the region of Gala, he got sick, and he had to stop in a couple of towns to recover. And while he was there, he shared the gospel of God's love through Jesus Christ and started a couple of churches in this one region of the world. And he got feeling a little better, traveled on, and left those churches in the hands of some, of some folks who then began to steer the churches away from the teaching of God's love through Jesus Christ, or at least the teaching of God's of salvation by grace alone, I should say. And so Paul hears a couple years later that these churches are now being taught that, yes, the love of Christ is good, but it's not enough. You have to also clean up your act. You have to behave correctly. There's pressure on you now that you're a Christian to perform. And in fact, you have to fulfill all of the Old Testament law as it's written in the Word of God uh, in order to be or remain in good standing with God. And Paul does the old, uh, oi vey, you know, what, 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 what's happening to my little churches? And so he writes the letter of Galatians as a corrective, as a, a way of drawing those churches back to the very simple truth that we are saved and grown by grace alone. It is only the grace of God that is our hope in life and in death. And so Paul uh, is in the middle of that sort of corrective letter as we come to this section in chapter 4, verses 21 through 31. And he is going to use an analogy, one that is very ancient and would have been familiar to many of his readers. He's going to go back to the story of Abraham and Sarah and their children, and he's going to sort of explain, using that metaphor, what he means by salvation by grace alone. And so you will be sort of drawn into a couple of different stories this morning. The story of Paul uh, teaching this young church, as well as him drawing us all back to the story of Abraham and Sarah and uh, Isaac and Ishmael. So, here we go. In Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 21. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one 
by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way, but his son by the free woman was born as the result of a promise. These things may be taken figuratively, for the woman, or I'm sorry, the women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Be glad, O barren woman who bears no children. Break forth and cry aloud, you who have no labor pains, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of a promise. At that time, the son born in the ordinary way persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. But what does the Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. You know, it's interesting, when I talked with the children earlier about the chocolate-sprinkled donuts, and I asked them if they believed that there would be chocolate-sprinkled donuts the next Sunday, they all three said no. And I think it's a good little example of our relationship to the Word of God that God extends or sets before us these promises that are too good to be true in some respects. And we either don't believe them or we partially believe them or we sort of take them and, and modify them into something we think we can believe. And in reality, this promise has been alive and well and at work within humankind for thousands upon thousands of years. And God is always faithful to his promise. Yet we are so slow to assimilate that, to accept that, to believe that. And I think... You know, there's, there's so many things at play in that balance or that imbalance, if you will. There's that human tendency to really doubt. You know, that I, I guess if I was really honest, I would have expected the kids wouldn't be as prone to doubting as we would. 
you know, we tend to be a little more skeptical about life, once burned, twice shy. Um, but they didn't, they didn't bite, so to speak. You know, were there going to be donuts here next week? Nope. Um, life has a way at times of coming in waves. And it's just one wave after another that knock us off of our balance, that disorient us, that pull us under, and make us think that all is lost. And God says through His Word, this is common, that we all need to be set back on our feet and have our heads lifted and see again what is true and what is good and what is right. And so Paul, in the middle of his corrective letter, says there's been a promise and God has never failed in his fulfillment of this promise. Why? Why do we keep returning to our own strength, our own cunning, our own means, rather than relying on the grace of God. Um, I want to set out the the tension in this passage for just a second. Um, You may not have seen it at first, but it's the tension between trust and its opposite. You know what the opposite of trust is? Fear. Okay? And, and there's this tension in this passage that I think is very real. Um, I'll, I'll put it this way. You know, Abraham and Sarah were well past the threshold of childbearing. They were well past that stage of life. And God said to Abraham, you will be the father of many nations. And he didn't believe it. And he sort of jokingly told his wife, who laughed. And then Sarah did something that is really, I think, disturbing to any reader from any period of history. Maybe uh, made a little more sense back then. But she basically took matters into her own hands. She didn't believe the promise that God made. She, she said, okay, <laughs> father of many nations, okay, here's what we need to do. I'm old, you're old, I have this servant girl. She's not old. You need to take her into your tent, bear children with her, and there you will solve this problem and have the results that we're looking for. You will be the father of many nations. And so Sarah, in the face of this promise, is guided by her fear. And she hands Hagar over to her husband to have a son. His name was Ishmael. Um, And then God sort of laughs back at them because Sarah becomes pregnant. 
And God effectively says, I, I told you, I promised you, I, I assured you that this would happen. And there's this tension between the product of the promise and the product of our fear. When we take matters into our own hands and we try to resolve problems by ourselves in our own strength and wisdom. And in a way, what, what Sarah did was wise, right? I mean, it made sense. We, you know, we're, we're up there, and if we're going to have this promise, we better do something to fulfill it. And so out pops Ishmael. Um, you might have realized that even today, the descendants of Ishmael and Isaac are still at war with each other, but that's not really for today's message, is it? Um, God says to us believe believe my promise and there's this tension between our, our fear and our desire to take matters into our own hands and the promise of God and our trust to be placed in that promise um, part of the calling in this passage is to enter into two covenants to one of two covenants we're called into a one or the other type of scenario and paul says uh, very clearly um, in verse 24 that these women represent two distinct covenants he says we can come under the covenant of the ordinary law the the way things normally work and he says this covenant is represented by mount sinai which is if you don't know this it's where moses received the ten commandments the law of god under which god's people were to live and um, well obey and how many of us can obey the law of god perfectly well none no one not one and so we're, we were placed under this burden of do it yourself, figure it out, solve your own problem, pull yourself up by your bootstraps because God wants us to come to the end of ourselves spiritually and at that point to turn to him and trust him and accept him. Well, so we're to come under the ordinary law, that's one option, where we are depending upon human will in order to uh, survive, to thrive, to do well. Uh, I'll just give you uh, uh, something you'll never hear from me. On the first Sunday of the new year, you will never hear this pastor give a New Year's resolution sermon. Okay? Why? Because my, my faith in human resolve is not there. I used to try the New Year's resolution. And it would get, you know, in a good year, I'd get a month in before it all, the bottom fell out. In a bad year, I'd get a week or so in and the bottom would fall out. And you know how this goes, right? You've made a hundred of them yourself. Well, only Jim's made a hundred New Year's resolutions. But, um, uh, you know, you've made several of them yourselves. And uh, 
human resolve always ends the same. So, this one covenant, represented by Mount Sinai, the coming of the law, is dependent upon human will, and it winds us up in bondage, in a cycle of frustration and failure. And God says, go ahead, try it, go ahead, I know what's going to happen. You're going to run into this wall a few times, and you will eventually, I hope, get to the end of yourself. When you get there, let me know, I'm here for you, okay? And so that's one of the covenants that Paul sets out in front of the Galatians. You can, you can go back to that covenant of, of human will and volition and bondage. It ends in slavery. Or you can come underneath the extraordinary promise of God. This incredible tension between these two options. When we come under the promise of God, we are then dependent on God's will. And what God wills, He will fulfill. It's a sure thing. And there we find freedom from the cycle of attempt and failure. Of the attempt to uh, engage our human volition and will in and earn favor with God versus that yielding of the human soul into the hands of God and finding their forgiveness and freedom and love and grace eternal. And so Paul says to his young little church, you know, there's two covenants. It's your call. You can go back to Mount Sinai and the people who were in Jerusalem at the time this was written, they're still living under that burden. And if you want to go back to that way of life, go ahead. But you're going to have to bind a box to your forehead. You're going to have to bind one to your hand. You're going to have to dress a certain way. You're going to have to eat a certain way. You've got, you got a lot of responsibilities you're going to have to fulfill. But if you want that, if that's what you want, to do it yourself, go ahead. But there's a better way. A way that ends in the freedom of Jesus Christ. Because He fulfilled that law. He lived that life. He sacrificed and offered Himself on our behalf so that we wouldn't have to live under that burden. And so, there are two covenants that are set before us. And there are two families that we are offered uh, the possibility of joining. So we are called to join one of these two families. Let's first look at Hagar's family. Hagar was the servant of Abraham whom Sarah gave to him to have a child. Hagar's family is born of Sarah's fear and striving. Hagar's family is born of Sarah's fear and striving. Her fear that they wouldn't fulfill or enter the promise of God because of their human condition. 
Have you ever been at a point in your life where you looked at your circumstances and said, there's no way. There's no way. There's no way I'll survive this. There's no way this will work out uh, in any way that's good. And what do you do? You panic. And fear takes over. And you act motivated by that fear and that insecurity and that striving. And so when we join Hagar's family and we act out of our fear and striving, we will find that we live in resentment of others. What did Ishmael, the son of Hagar, say when he saw Abraham's son Isaac? It's in the book of Genesis. And it says that Ishmael mocked him. What would drive a boy to mock his little brother? Well, I mean, we get that all the time, right? It's natural, okay? But when Ishmael is acting as a member of this family, he mocks, he, has, he, he acts out of resentment for his little brother. As members of Hagar's family, we live in resentment and we live on our own. What happened to Ishmael? He was turned out and he and Hagar were alone. And at one point, she even set him aside and, and just left him and wept that her life was over and she had no way to care for her son. God said, no, no, we'll take care of him. We'll, we're going somewhere with this. But the end result is isolation. When we join this family of acting out of fear and striving, living in resentment, and ultimately ending in isolation. And so the contrast could not be more clear between Hagar's family and Sarah's, which is a family born of God's promise and power. Paul says that this, the children in this family are born by the power of the Holy Spirit. That we, as a consequence of the promise of God, move from a place of mourning to joy. Where Sarah had struggled with her um, barrenness. So much so that when God promised her a child, she laughed. There's no way. That's ridiculous. And God took that... I don't know what's going on here. But God took that place where Sarah naturally was and moved her from that place of having given up to a place of hope and joy and life where she saw the promise of God fulfilled in her lifetime and she moved from a place of mourning to a place of joy and we are all as members of Sarah's family on Sarah's path 
where we run into circumstances in life that knock us to the ground, that take from us our hope and our expectation that God will fulfill His promise. And in despair, we sometimes even give up. And God says, I'm not giving up on you. I'm not done. Believe me, you are the child of my promise. You are a member of Sarah's family, and I will move you from mourning to joy. The passage that Paul quotes here where he talks about um, be glad, O barren woman who bears no children, break forth and cry aloud, you who have no labor pains, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. These are from the book of Isaiah chapter 54. And in Isaiah chapter 54, the prophet begins with this barren woman. And he moves through to the fulfillment of God's promise to her and to Israel. And so the the heads of God's people are lifted. Hope is restored and joy pours back in. And you can see it in those verses. Read the whole chapter. It's amazing stuff. And so this is, Paul is saying, this is the pattern that God has had in place since time immemorial. That we lose hope. We end in despair. And God always fulfills His promise. He moves us from that place of mourning to a place of joy. We are on Sarah's path as the result of God's promise. And God also causes us to gain an eternal inheritance. Sarah's fear that God had promised but He wouldn't be able to deliver And so she better take matters into her own hands. She better take care of these circumstances herself. That fear is answered by God. When He says, we, verse 31, are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. We have an eternal inheritance in Christ that is something that no one can take away, that can never be shaken, that can never be interrupted because it's born of the promise of God, fulfilled through His Son, Jesus Christ, and given to all who are members of Sarah's family. This internal inheritance of forgiveness hope, grace, love, and joy. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, we marvel at Your Word, at how true it rings in our doubting hearts, and how well You nail who we really are. You know that we lose hope that we lack faith, that we fear and we grab and we wrangle 
and we take matters into our own hands and try to solve our own problems. And you smile and you wait and you fulfill a promise you made so very long ago that all nations will be blessed through what you do in fulfillment of your word. And Lord, we thank you that we have found that fulfillment in Jesus Christ, that you gave him to us as one who could perfectly fulfill the law. He lived in that family. And he came down from Mount Sinai and laid down the perfect fulfillment of that law at your feet and said, this is for all the members of Sarah's family. And so, Lord, our heads are lifted. Our joy is restored. Our hope shines forth before us. Lead us by your Holy Spirit to live in the truth of your light. In your Son's name we pray. Amen.